0: hey everyone it's your host richie burke and welcome back to the go-getters podcast brought to you by go get it marketing and media ggmm.io and our good friends over at on milwaukee welcome back for the first time in a little over a month we've been on a bit of a hiatus and we will continue to be this will be the last episode of 2020 we're really gearing up for 2021 right now and if you're listening to this i'm sure you've listened to the show before this year and Really would like to thank you for all the support. In 2020, we this will be episode 46, we've done well over 100 topics and we're up over 150,000 downloads over the last two years. We had 12,000 in October alone, so a lot more attention on this podcast, a lot more attention on these great Milwaukee stories and really appreciate all the support. And just just looking back, at 2020 and thinking of 2020 in milwaukee which this is mostly a milwaukee based podcast this was supposed to be our year we were going to have the global spotlight with the dnc the Ryder cup a big summer fest the bucks finals run which i know we got knocked out in the second round but i still think we would have made the finals if if covid and the bubble didn't happen we just had so much momentum and Hopefully Giannis will sign that extension or has signed that extension by the time you are listening to this episode. The city in general, I mean, we were supposed to, supposed to kill it this year in 2020, and it, it's been a lot different. There haven't been many big events a lot of small businesses have had to adapt and pivot and i i know that firsthand as a small business owner by the way thank you to you know all our all our clients listening and anyone who's worked with or supported us at ggmm this year we really do appreciate it and feel feel lucky to be where we're at right now and going into 2021 but again not a very easy business climate we saw the whole blm movement after george floyd a lot of protests you know, down in Kenosha. Kenosha was literally on fire. We got to cover that. We had some locals come on the episode. We probably went through the most divided and tumultuous election of all time, obviously navigated a global pandemic. In, but on on the bright side, somehow Ian Abstin, Hofstede and company raised, you know, millions of dollars to light the home Bridge. That was, That was nice. That was a nice, you know, end of the year. So... I don't need to inflate Ian's ego at all any bigger than Doherty is, but props to that guy, my old roommate, over there. And on today's episode, I wanted to look back. I wanted this to be a good representation of 2020 in Milwaukee. So we go back and play a couple clips, play several clips from some of our favorite episodes, we play a clip on being black in Milwaukee and in America from our Candid Conversation on Race in Milwaukee episode where DJ, Greg, and Khalif come on. We hear from Christine Spett of Cousin Subs and Mike Malatesta from ERC Midwest on how local businesses have adapted and advice to business owners. We play a clip from the election episode and we hear from Judge Mosley who's lucky to be alive right now. We almost lost a great Milwaukee and he was in the ICU for eight days with COVID. So we're going to hear firsthand on that experience. And then um, I will play a clip from Ian and Hosted on Lighting the Hone Bridge. So anyway, thank you guys so much for all your support. And if you do want to get involved in the show, we are ramping up for 2021. As I said, right now, we're recording some of those initial episodes. And if you have any guest topics, Or suggestions, please go to ggmm.io and click on the go getters tab. There's a form that you can fill out right there. Would love to hear from you. If you're a company who wants to get involved in the show, some companies have. We're pretty picky on the relationships we have in that realm, but this can be a really good platform to get exposure to a Milwaukee audience via audio and social media. So feel free to reach out to me on that you can fill out the form on ggmm.io or just email me directly richie at ggmm.io and if you are interested we are currently giving away 1600 dollars worth of prizes local business uh, gift cards a pod playbook membership and some awesome ggmm bottles you can go to ggmm.io and click on the go-getters tab to enter that so thanks again for all your support looking forward to a big 2021 and enjoy this episode. Like I said in the intro, we almost lost a great in this year. Judge Mosley, great, great dude. I don't know how you could not love the guy. He spent eight days in the ICU in March when no one really even knew what COVID was, including the doctors and the medical professionals who were working their asses off, but were still trying to figure out, and they were flying by the seat of their pants. And Judge Mosley got to a point where he accepted the fact that he might not make it out and then a couple things happened you're in the icu for eight days you're on your yep. stomach what you have you have a wife and two kids too right yeah tell me about communication with them and did you think you were ever going to see them again did that was that in the back of your head the entire time like i i don't know if yeah. going to make it out
1: yeah, so uh the scariest part about ICU in a COVID ICU is that yeah, there's visit- no visitors. Yeah. No visitors whatsoever. So while you're there in the yeah, ICU, if people- the
0: doctors won't come in the room, you're probably <laughs> right, not you gonna, gonna let your family up. in <laughs> I'm like, no I'm shit, like, <laughs> damn, man.
1: <laughs> I'm waiting for like an alien to bust out of my chest or something. So um <laughs> so so you you know, <laughs> you're totally alone. People are literally dying in that ICU completely alone. Absolutely alone. Nobody there with them. And so I am laying in the bed on my stomach. Just I have all these thoughts going into my uh, mind. I've got two young girls uh, thinking about them. Have I prepared them enough to be ready to take on the world without me? And whether or not um, my wife knows where we keep the mortgage and the taxes and all this stuff, because I figure I'm not going to be around. And I sunk down to this really deep, dark place where you, you start thinking to yourself, this is it. And, you know, I, I, this is it. And at that moment, you're on, I'm on my stomach, so I can't see the door. So the door opens and my nurse walks in and she's like, I have somebody who wants to talk to you. And I was like, who, who's coming in to talk to me? So she uh, comes up to my side and she puts an iPad in front of me. And on the iPad is are my wife and my two daughters. And that was the first time that I had seen them since I'd been in the ICU, since they dropped me off eight days ago. So I see them, we start talking and crying and laughing. And the whole time I'm still trying to, um, be strong so that they're strong. Um, knowing how bad it really is. I didn't want to give them the impression it was as bad as it was. Um, And then the the nurse, after we did our conversation, which is about, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, um, it allowed me to say goodbye without saying goodbye, if you know what I mean. And um, the nurse took the iPad and left. And I was sitting in the room again by myself thinking, well, you know, I got a chance to talk to them. They got to see me. Um, So it made me feel a little bit better. I didn't feel like I was leaving them hanging, I should say. And so... Uh, I lay back down, and about a half an hour later, my nurse comes back into the room. She slides the chair next to me, and she just grabs my hand. And as she's grabbing my hand, she um, she says, um, You're not alone. Uh, I'm here with you. I will be here with you the entire night, and we're going to beat this thing together. And just her words and just the fact that you know you're in this room and people don't even want to come into the room, and she not only comes into the room, she grabs my hand and gives me that human interaction that, you know, because you feel like something, and you know something's wrong, but when people won't come in the room, you know something's serious, right? So that interaction with her just changed everything for me mentally. Um, seeing my kids, seeing my wife, and then her coming in just changed everything for me mentally.
0: So do you think you would have made it out if it wasn't for that day of talking to your family and the nurse coming in. A lot of people talk about how the brain and the body work together and what you're thinking mentally can really help or hurt physical symptoms. Did you get kind of a second wind after that in some way? Yeah.
1: um, I'll tell you, uh, Richie, after I I had that um, phone call, I felt good. You know, I, cause it, you know, it's a long time, you know, to not see your family and not talk to them while you're struggling through this. And so it made me feel good to the point where I got to the point where I was like, if this is it, if this is all my contribution is, this is it right here. I'm all right. I'm good with that. I, um, you know, I'm good with that. I got a chance to talk to my family and, um, I'm good. I'm good with that. And then, um, the nurse comes in after that and, just hearing her say, you know, I'm here because that's the first time, you know, a lot of the that's the first time that, you know, you have a human interaction, not just the interaction because nurses came in. They were great. They were fantastic. I can't say enough about the frontline workers, but to have someone actually touch you and say, we're going to make this, we're going to do this. I'm here with you. You are not alone. If they have to ventilate you, I will be there. I will advocate for you. Cause at that point you can't advocate for yourself when you're on the ventilator. And so it just, it, it, it changed my, 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 whole spirits lifted. She said she could see it in my eyes. Um, and I made it through that night.
0: Just an inspiring story from judge Mosley. If you guys want to hear more on that amazing story, make sure to go back to the Judge Mosley episode. We also did a full interview with him a couple years ago. I'm sure if you look up Judge Mosley Go-Getters, you will find it. Great guy, very, very happy that he's still with us. He does so many good things for our city, just a champion for our city. So big shout out to Judge Mosley and thanks again for coming on and sharing your story. Now, Now we're gonna move on to businesses. So when COVID hit, businesses had to adapt. I know this as a small business owner, just the anxiety that I felt, the uncertainty, the work we had to put in to to pivot, to regroup, to move forward was something that none none of us were expecting. And a lot of businesses have done a good job and they continue to fight and get creative to to stay alive and some to grow and survive a lot, depending on the industry that you're in. One of the cool things that we did this year was back in the April, May time frame, typically recorded on Friday afternoon. Selfishly, I used this as an excuse to have a couple of beers and talk to a bunch of people that I wasn't able to see in person. We interviewed well over 30 local leaders on a series of about five COVID-based episodes. All had a story. All were fighting to You know to better their businesses their organizations and it was really inspiring hearing from them i gave each of them a five to ten minute segment so make sure you know to go back and check out some of those if you want inspiration and on this specific segment we're going to hear from christine spett from cousin subs on how she initially reacted to covid and how cousins is adapting as a a larger but a locally owned food company
2: we have ninety nine ro- locations.
0: Ninety nine. So you got obviously a, a iconic Milwaukee brand. You guys are regional, and it's food. Can you can you walk me through what the last month has been like since I saw you at that Bucks game and everything was just all, all fine?
2: Yeah, sure. Happy to do that. It's been uh, it's been a whirlwind, particularly since Friday the thirteenth, right? So you know, before that, we were hearing about you know, what was coming and and yet I don't think anybody really understood how impactful that would be. So until you start to be impacted by it, right? So I think that we started really tracking things as of the 14th and uh, that's really when everything kind of started dramatically changing. So, you know, and and for us in terms of how we made operational changes was really dictated by how uh, the government Um, you know, whether it was the state or local municipalities, how they wanted us to serve guests in a safe manner and how they wanted to help us keep our employees safe. So, you know, as we changed our business model is really kind of following in line with how the, uh, to make sure that we were in accordance with with the requirements, the new requirements. And that was really, somewhat tumultuous because it was—it seemed to change so frequently, like every day or every couple days, it was like, all right, there's a new notice coming out. Uh, we would continue to be in touch with the Wisconsin Restaurant Association. And they've been very helpful as has the National Restaurant Association in terms of um, deciphering sometimes the lingo that comes out, right, and mandates to make sure that we're following things. So, you know, basically, of course, like all restaurants, there's no more dine-in service. Uh, we're only doing uh, delivery we have curbside and now and uh, drive through, of course, in our locations that have drive through. So, uh, just trying to adapt and and do what we can to serve our guests, the community, but yeah, keep our employees protected.
0: What's it been like for you as the as the leader of this large business going through this? And is there any any message that you'd like to end on as far as silver lining that could come out of this?
2: Well, I'll tell you what. I mean. People do ask about what is there anything positive, and I think the one thing that I can have continued to say was a that I'm grateful that we have the opportunity to adapt and try to capture some sales so that we can stay open, so we can keep people employed. That is my biggest goal is to keep people employed and not lay them off, um, even when cuts and reductions have to happen. But the second thing is is really, I mean, it's never more apparent to me uh, the importance of having a great team, and uh, you know. This is now, now is not the time to assemble a team. You have to assemble a team and then so that you're ready for a crisis like this. Of course, we didn't know this was coming. We don't stress test our annual plan to the point where we're down 30% in sales, but I'm grateful and the silver lining is that I think I have a really great group of people that are willing to do what it takes to keep the business viable so that we can come out of this and then rebuild and, and grow and continue to employ and hopefully employ more people. So it's all about that uh, the people aspect for me and, and the ability to be able to just have great people that are, are the, their best skill sets are shining during this time.
0: You know, loved Christine's positive attitude on this clip and how cousins continues to innovate. And I think they're, you know, doing well now several months later. She also came in in person. It was great meeting her when she did that. That was probably a year and a half ago. So there's a whole podcast on the, the backstory of Cousins and how Christine took over and her leadership style. So make sure to go back and check that out. Next, we're going to hear from Mike Malatesta. He is the leader and owner at ERC Midwest. He's the host of the How to Happen podcast. He's an investor who's had a, a very successful business career. He's someone that I consider a a friend and a mentor, just an all around good guy. And he's in the waste management space at ERC Midwest. And they, they came up with a solution right away. They moved fast and they pivoted. And he's gonna touch on that briefly. And then he just had some advice that I feel was very applicable back then and is just as applicable right now. Let's play the clip
3: super fortunate for us because uh, we can keep everybody employed and our customers keep producing, so they need us. Um, but one of the things we saw a couple of weeks ago was that um, there might be an opportunity to help in a way we never thought we'd need to help before, and that is uh, if, a, if a company or a workplace has a confirmed COVID-19 case in the workplace, so you know not people working from home, but people that are actually working in a manufacturing environment what do they do to address that? What do clients do to address that? And so we uh, put together a program, a COVID-19 decontamination and disinfection program uh, that we started offering to our clients in, in the event that uh, that they need it. And that has been uh, quite a learning experience for us, but also it's been great because we've been able to help, uh, so far, 10 or 12 companies in all different um uh, facets of, of manufacturing, um, with a really difficult problem that they didn't know how to solve. And we can go in there and we can provide complete disinfection, uh, very quick, very affordable and get them back up and running. Uh, and, and, and more, most importantly, keep their employees safe and give them, uh, peace of mind that it's okay to go back to work.
0: Thanks to Mike Maltest for coming on. I, I love how he said, usually, you know, when th- things are bad, they're never really as bad as they seem. And usually sometimes when things are great, they're never really as great as they seem, but you know, our mind goes in a certain area and it's good to always keep in mind, no matter what you're going through, we'll get through this on the other end. So love that message from Mike. Now, now we're gonna transition over. You know, we all know what happened With the murder of george floyd in the blm movement that followed and luckily we got to cover this through several episodes on the go-getters podcast we had alderman khalif rainey and dave mays on an episode which was really cool khalif rainey does a lot of good things for this city and dave mays was an honor talking to him he's the founder of the source which is you know the magazine that was considered the hip-hop bible in the 90s he was one of the guys that really discovered Biggie and Puff and you know worked directly with all those guys. So it was cool hearing his story, talking about race, race relations, hip, hop, hip hop's effect on everything, Hip Hop Milwaukee Week. So it was cool to have them on. Also Enrique Rodriguez, who most of you know as Meg, who helps run 88.9's Backline program and managed Ishtar for a while and the rapper. Webster X came on and talked about the Black is Beautiful rides that they put together. And they were both very active during the protest. So we got to dive deep into that. Very thankful that those guys came on. And then right after Kenosha happened, I got to talk to Nicole Thompson from One Hope and my buddy Tiger. Justin Whitehead is his actual name. He's my college buddy. He looks just like Tiger Woods, so we call him Tiger. And Pastor Roy Peoples, who are all kenosha residents and the media was painting one narrative and it was great to have them on to find out what was really going on down in kenosha and how they were dealing with it and just the anxiety that they felt and kind of the pain that they felt with their their town being torn apart and divided and a lot of people from the outside coming in and wreaking havoc so it was you know it was good for them to come on as well as paint a positive picture on how they're going to bounce back down in kenosha and i have no doubt that They'll be able to do that. They have some great leadership down there. And before all of those guests came on, I had three of my very good friends on: Greg Marshall from over at CI Designs, DJ Hines, and Khalif Elmin. Greg Marshall, white guy who's very active in the black community, DJ Hines, Khalif Elmin, two of my black friends, just to add context, as you're listening to this clip, and in this segment, they talked about how white people should be handling the BLM movement and how as white people, we can better understand what minorities go through, what black people go to and what we can do to actually help the situation. Because I think one thing that I learned during this as someone who um, considers himself not a racist person and inclusive to everyone is, you know, sometimes it's not enough just not to be part of the problem. We should all be playing our role to help equality. So. I think there's some really powerful information in the clips that we were, we're about to play. Greg went first, then DJ, then Khalif. Let's dive in.
4: A friend of mine has a son, plays football. He's now a freshman in, in college. When he was in high school, he decided to protest during the national anthem at a high school football game. I think at multiple games and he got he got shredded for it. And this is a, this is a white kid, Greg. Black African-American okay, got it. teenager who um, was really passionate about it. Like this was coming from a place of I'm very tired of being seen this way. A lot of his teammates were white. Most of his school was white. <clears throat> and um, he, got, he got really put under fire by a lot of people for trying to make a statement about how black people have been treated in many contexts and this last week one of the the one of his classmates who was the hardest on him called him and for a half an hour apologized for not understanding mm. what he now understands and i think what can be asked, like what can white people do that high schooler modeled it in such a profound way where he was self-suspicious enough open enough to listen with new ears because there's something unique about this george floyd situation there's something unique about the outcry right now and to continue holding on to the same script is 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 literally insane and one thing this teenager talked about was how he was really just spouting out at the time like what he was hearing he was just saying like the script he was handed from his family from his community and he was now thinking for himself and realizing, oh my gosh, like I was ridiculing this kid, my teammate, and I didn't need to. And I think there's a lot of opportunity there for us to listen in a new way and to let go of our scripts. And it's really simple empathy. It's emotional intelligence to be able to say, I'm going to listen to you and wear your story until it changes something in me. And I'm going to resist the need to judge your story. I'm going to resist the need to explain it away. I'm going to resist the urge to
5: explain to you why you shouldn't feel that way. That's a really strong point there. And I've gotten several calls um, from white people who are close to me, friends, asking the same question. What is it that I can do? And what I'm sharing um, goes It was very parallel to what Greg is saying, and I've kind of summed it up in two things. Um, I think it's very important that the white community has a level of genuine compassion and empathy for those who are being affected um, by the unjust system and not a manufactured uh, sense of compassion and empathy, because one, uh, a manufactured one, is only prompted when there is an uprising such as we're experiencing right now but a genuine uh, heart of compassion and empathy that's something that is practiced and rehearsed daily it's real and it doesn't need to be um it doesn't it doesn't need to be coached you know we I think that if the white community has to be coached to show empathy and compassion, then it's limited in regards to what its abilities are, what it can do to really affect change. So that's the first thing I think, is having that genuine level of compassion and empathy. And then secondly, I think everyone has to use what they have. I don't think anyone expects anyone to do anything outside of their ability. I don't think anyone expects anyone to do anything that they can't do. So use what you have. Like, for example, Richie, you're using what you have. You have a platform, you have an outlet, which um, allows you to, to get messaging to people. You're using what you have. Um, some people are, you know, Fortune 500 CEOs. What is it that you have that you can use to positively affect the, the situation that's taken place? Some people, all they have is their voice. And how is it that you can use your voice to help positively affect the situation? So I think those are the two things, is have real true compassion and care for the people who are being affected. Because if you have that compassion and you have that care and it's really a heart thing and it's not something that's prompted, then it's going to change how, how you operate. And it's going to change how you communicate to other other white people.
6: Three three e words came to came to my mind. So the first one is educate. The second one is emotional uh, emotional emotional intelligence, and then the third is exposure. So the first one, educate. What white people can do right away is educate themselves, <clears throat> not on and I'll i keep force you know forcing the issue, not on the effects, but educate themselves on the cause of why people are protesting, why people are outraged, why people are doing what they're doing right now. Um, when, when, then when they're more, when white people are more educated, then they can have a sense of empathy. They'll have that emotional intelligence. They'll know why, then they'll, they'll start to understand a little bit better. And then people like, you know, Richie, then you can use the next E word as exposure, you know, getting that message, getting that, 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 that positive message out and, you know, just using the platforms and using quite frankly using your privilege to help push you know the, the the messaging that needs to be that needs to be sent out because we're as we can see you know we're just we focused on milwaukee but it's an outcry like people want to be heard people are not being heard people are not being um helped so it's like all right well we tried all the letters of the alphabet like we're we're at z now what what do we do so now it's like okay we're we're going to protest. We're going to, you know, uproar. We're going to riot. We're going to do this, that, and the third uh, because we're not we're not seeing the results that we that we that we've seen, and and it's been you know something that's ingrained you know on both on both ends of the spectrum for over 400 years. Um, so really, just educate, and then you know you can have that emotional intelligence, and then use that exposure.
0: I do really want to thank DJ, Greg, and Khalif for coming on that episode, for being open, being very transparent. The episode was called A Candid Conversation on Race in Milwaukee, and that's exactly what it was. I got a lot of great feedback from that episode, and, again, I feel very lucky to have this platform to be able to put something like that out. Transitioning over, let's talk about the Hone Bridge. So after about four years of hard work a lot of a lot of banging their heads against the wall a lot of nose a lot of kind of distraughtness and just just wondering where to go from here hey can we really pull this off and banging on a lot of doors ian and hosted leading this project and a lot of support from the community and greg marshall who you just heard on the last clip and Lori richard um, those guys did a lot to help out as well but they they raised nearly 2.5 million dollars and lit the bridge this clip is just a culmination about a three minute clip of sound bites from that episode let's dive into the light the hone podcast with ian abston and michael Hosted. Milwaukee had a
7: skyline shot on ESPN, and it was on the time when NM was being built. There was a panoramic shot going across the skyline, U.S. Bank Tower, NM, et cetera, et cetera. And all of a sudden, when it ended the shot, and it said, coming to you live from Milwaukee, Wisconsin... The end of that was the armpit of the city. It was the Hone Bridge, which is at, at night is just darkness. And over the Harbor District, and there's nothing happening. So that was the everlasting shot that we were telling the rest of the world. On primetime TV, this is Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Thank God we didn't know what we were getting into when we started. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't have done it. People thought that we were launching like, an, like a professionally done fundraising campaign. So they're like, so you've got 80% in the bank, right? You Now that you're going public, we're like, no, we have $0.00 and 0 cents in the bank. And people looked at us like, you, what? You know, like like there was just no comprehension. Because every other major capital campaign, you, you quietly raise 80% of it and then you go public for the remaining 20. We had went through such highs and lows and man, this city is so hard to get anything done. It is so hard to get anything done. David Lubar and Greg Marcus and Ted Kellner and, and Julia Taylor, um, Katie Hyatt. There's some people early on that- Bill Haberman. Bill Haberman, yeah, Bill Haberman before he passed away. He was yeah. our first, first 30K first, into yeah. this, yeah. I believe. And man, he loved this project. And he, he, after we got that money, we're like, whoa, this is gonna be easy. I don't think we uh, got any yeah. for a while. Yeah. But you yeah. know, Bill had an interesting point too about the, he was involved with the public market. Yeah. You know, and like that was a vision that he had that he had to sell people. On. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we had on the ups and downs, we had one of our worst downs. We had like six and maybe seven months of literally everyone said no bulbs had no one. So bought a bulb for like six weeks, not even a birthday bulb, not even a pity. Yeah. Not even my mom was like, all right, you guys need a. Your yeah, mom was we, actually asking for her money back. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then uh, one of our friends, we had a good good meeting with our friend Lacey Sadoff, and she kicked in a, a donation just at the right, like at the right time when our confidence was just yeah. peak low. I'll say. So, our, we've got great people in Milwaukee. Those business leaders we all just mentioned, they're incredible people. But I think we're in a system like, okay, you need to fundraise. Okay, rent out the hotel, chicken dinner, uh, paddle raise, emotional video, silent auction, be on your way. That is the Milwaukee model. And let me tell you, it's broken. It is so broken. You know, we've been bearing down on this thing for almost five years and going through a lot to get this thing done. And to see it for the first time, was it was so surreal. It, it, it still doesn't feel like it's lit. After all those years and all that, that, that salesmanship, the first thing that goes to your stomach is, oh, crap, what if these don't look as cool as we think they will? So that one moment of actually watching them and seeing them going on and they're not only meet your expectations, but exceed them. But that doesn't even matter watching people just flock to it. And I think you've seen a really good push on social media of just people that have have seen the lights when they were on. Makes you really feel good about the effort that went in.
0: So congrats to those guys. And thank you to everyone who worked on that project. And, you know, listening to that, I just want everyone to feel inspired, even if you don't care if the bridge got lit, even if you think it was wasn't a good use of two point five million dollars. Um, you know you look at you look at Ian Abstin, my former roommate he's just kind of a you know scraggly guy, probably no more than two to three shirts in his wardrobe, most of them Milwaukee home if if a guy like that can raise millions of dollars and light a bridge in a pandemic you can do anything in 2021 what what is your excuse what is your excuse take take a look at ian abstin if that guy can light the bridge you can do anything in 2021 let's go all right moving on to the election we got we'll 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 end it here so um my dad wrote a book the presidential playbook. He he considered running as an independent, chose not to, but still wanted to release his book, 16 Simple Solutions to Save America. Simple, bold, nonpartisan, fact based solutions that could save America. Anyway, he came on the podcast and it's been the most downloaded episode this year. It's got about 4,600 downloads just on that episode. So big, uh, big shout out to JB for coming on. And you know even though this election has been over for well over a month at this point you know we're still very divided as a nation and myself as i think a lot of us we're disappointed at how right the right is how left the left is and you know we we got we got to come together we got to find better ways to move forward as a country and Go back and listen to that episode, The Presidential Playbook. A lot of good stuff in there. A lot of good stuff to educate yourself on. And I'm just going to play a quick clip from that. Little regard for the facts.
8: There's just so much animosity Mm -hmm. built up. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book. Just stand back. Take a breather. And understand the biggest issues that we face as a country... And what an amazing opportunity we have to to really take this country to a whole different level over the next 50 years. The only way you do it is by addressing the brutal realities and the
0: facts as they are. You you say that, and we just went over a lot of depressing things in the last half hour or so. Yeah. D- does anything give you hope at this point? Uh, I'm an optimist. And... I I really
8: believe and I've been in I've been I've been in some bad situations from a business standpoint. And I'm always an optimist and we always figure it out. And I really believe that America's best days are ahead of it. But we really got to deal with these problems because some of these things are ticking time bombs. And if you don't address them now, you're done. You know, we're the The Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. And these guys are people with Nobel um, laureates. And the nuclear clock, which really measures how on edge the globe is to a nuclear catastrophe, is at 30 seconds to midnight. It is the closest it's ever been. And if you don't think a massive nuclear disaster could happen in this world then you probably didn't think a pandemic was going to happen either. And so I'm optimistic, but we've got some ticking time bombs that we
0: really need to address. All right. We are going to leave it at that. From the bottom of my heart, thank you guys for all your support on the Go-Getters podcast in 2020. And if you want to get involved in the show in one way or another, if you want to come on the show, if you want to submit a topic, if you want to, be a sponsor support the show and and want to know what that looks like just go to ggmm.io That's ggmm.io. Click on the Go-Getters tab, or there should be a form on our homepage. Just submit it on there. And thanks again for all your support. If you want to support the show further, head there and enter our giveaway and write a review. Or just write a review anyway. That helps us out. And a big shout-out to On Milwaukee. We really appreciate our partnership and the support over at On Milwaukee. And you guys have a, a great rest of your day whenever you're listening to this. And we will see you again in 2021.